This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Good times as uh, the Houston Rockets pull off a very big win, Game 2, against the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm here with my good friend M.K. Bauer, the great M.K. Bauer. And uh, it's a pleasure having you on, man. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate the opportunity, Dave. And uh, this was this was a, an ugly game, and then yet we got to the fourth quarter, and we just it was just pure excitement. It was like a roller coaster ride. It was a Josh Smith show, and, and it's, and it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that because you and I have been talking a lot through the first game and a half of the series about how poorly he was playing with yes. with all the other veterans, seeming like they were kind of in a, in a decent groove in terms of how they wanted to attack the Mavericks and really attack the series as a whole. He just seemed out of sorts from from really the opening tip or his first. Um, better burn in game one all the way through the first half tonight and then suddenly he found himself and it was really dramatic I thought in the third quarter we're going to talk about the fourth quarter obviously extensively but in the third quarter he was very very good in terms of just kind of getting his feet back underneath him finding his way offensively and really setting the table for what's going to be an outstanding fourth quarter for him and Dwight Howard you know, and it's amazing. You look at his numbers. I mean, this really was a tale of two halves. Josh Smith in the first half was in foul trouble. So he only played six minutes, picked up three fouls, but really played poorly. One of five from the field, two points, two boards, zero assists. Then just absolutely explodes in the second half. Nine assists alone in the second half. A series of lobs to Dwight Howard. Those two just completely dominated that fourth quarter, as you as you talked about. Uh, 13.6 rebounds, nine assists, one turnover and a steal. Uh, in 19 plus minutes in the second half alone, six of 10 field goal in that in in the second half, uh, and Dwight was insane. I mean, the guy started out one of four, and we were talking in the first quarter how he really wasn't he he was missing some bunnies. He didn't look really strong, and boom, uh, in the second half alone, goes eight of nine from the field for 20 points and eight rebounds. Plays 33 minutes tonight, the m- most minutes he's played since he's been back from the injury by about five minutes. Uh, goes 8 of 11 from the line. Just a fantastic game for Dwight. I won't marinate on this because it's not necessary, but it, it bears mentioning. He's so much better, and his offense is so much more effective when they just run pick-and-roll stuff for him or give him opportunities for lobs at the rim and don't dump it into him in the post. I understand he has his moments where he can't score in the post, particularly with that left-handed hook shot, but by and large in the first half, it was a grind with him just trying to find ways to get him involved that way offensively. When I honestly believe he's that much more effective when he's rolling to the basket hard, he's positioning himself for offensive rebounds or lob attempts. It's amazing that when they started doing that in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter, how those numbers added up so quickly for him offensively. It was hard to believe he had 28 points when it seemed like he was only getting a few dunks, but really he generated a lot of momentum with just simply attacking the glass and being active on that part of the game and not waiting for someone to dump the ball into him and try to score over a bigger player in Tyson Chandler. Yeah, I think it has to be really encouraging, though, to us as fans because we, after game one, I mean, there were a series of lobs in game one. I mean, to Capella, to Dwight, um, and we thought they have to make some kind of adjustment. They just feasted on Dirk on the pick and roll. 
And tonight it was worse. You would have thought Carlisle, a great coach, would have come up with something, some way to, to, to contain this. But when Dirk's out there, the Rockets just pounce on this. And it seem, seems like they can do this every time. And I have to say that Josh Smith, uh, you know, he's got his flaws. We've seen some bad shots taken. We've seen him push the push the uh, the issue, push the tempo a little bit at times when he doesn't need to. Maybe try to run the show. But he is such a deft, excellent passer. Uh, when he is around there in that middle of the paint and, and makes that alley pass, just so good at it. Uh, and we just saw that time and time again in that fourth quarter. We can't hammer this point home enough. They absolutely obliterated Dirk Nowitzki defensively tonight. Yeah. And they found him again and again when they were in a pick and roll, and he did nothing. He either trail plays, was way too slow sliding over to, to get the ball handler, and just really didn't give much of an effort at all. I don't know if it's a matter of he's, – he's never been a great defensive player, clearly, but he's aging, and just the effort and the energy can't be there consistently defensively or what the deal was. But I thought he was abysmal tonight. I mean, and, and, and we saw it in game one, as you referenced, but tonight it was on a whole nother level of bad in terms of just not doing anything in that set defensively, and the Rockets were wise to constantly attack him in that formation regardless of personnel. If it was James Hardaway as the ball handler or Josh Smith as the ball handler, he had that dunk in the first half where Nowitzki just slowly dragged his feet around um, the, the, the screener and just didn't get there in time to cut Smith off and route to the basket. I don't know how, if you're Dallas, you figure out a way to, to alleviate this problem because obviously you have to have Nowitzki in the court. And you can only hide him so much, particularly when the Rockets are so adept at running pick and roll with multiple ball handlers. And it's interesting. You made the point about Smith's passing. With them missing, you know, Patrick Beverly as a ball handler, not really a great pick and roll ball handler, but a ball handler, they've been able to accent what they have offensively with Smith kind of stepping in there as a secondary ball handler behind James Harden and running that pick and roll. They killed the Mavericks tonight with it, and I anticipate they will do so again every time the Vitz gets on the court on Friday night. You know, I think the most Josh Smith play by Josh Smith tonight was that play where he was, I believe, driving into the paint, seemed to just kind of lose the ball. It, it, he went under the basket, he dives out, saves it, and makes that incredible bullet pass down the baseline to Corey Brewer in the corner for a three-pointer, and you're like, that's so Josh Smith right there. He, he's, he's a scary player in the sense that you know he, he may make some maybe do something that, that can drive you nuts, but then he'll just do something spectacular like that. Just a brilliant game from him tonight. He gives so much versatility from this guy. What he can do, he can come in and play center at times, you know, block some shots, uh, runs the floor, just has been an absolutely excellent uh, addition for the Rockets. I want to talk a little bit about James Harden because this guy came out of the gate in the first quarter. It's the opposite of Dwight and Josh, um, four or five. Starts red hot from the field, and then he goes cold. Uh, he mi- he misses 11 of his final 12 shots in this game, including his final nine. Goes 0 for 8 in the second half. All eight of his points in the second half are from the line. Got perfect 8 of 8 from there. Um, you know, I-, I thought we were going to see a change narrative, but again, he comes out and goes 5 for 17. I mean, teams are going to lock him, uh, not lock him down, but they're going to focus on him, and other players are going to have to step up. And as much as we lauded him in game one for passing to open teammates repeatedly, I thought tonight he forced some shots. I thought he over-dribbled in some spots. He worked too hard to try to get shots over, up over defenders who were in his face, and maybe he bought into his hot start and thinking it would continue, but his stretch of sitting down in the second quarter, and when he came back in, he never got the high hand back. And I understand from his perspective, trying to find it again and granted 17 shots isn't too many shots but I thought there were a lot of instances in the second half where he just didn't have it and he would have been better off just kind of moving the ball around only four assists tonight or six assists tonight and, and I, I didn't think 
it was really the kind of performance you saw in game one from him relative to what he did tonight. I thought he was a little bit more selfish, a little bit more hard-headed in terms of what he was trying to do offensively. But luckily, it didn't hurt the team at all. And it's interesting, when they made that run in the fourth quarter, and I think I mentioned this to you, Harden was on the bench the entire time, just sitting there chilling out. Yeah, and he didn't come back in until four minutes were left in the game. And even McHale said after the game that he thought about not bringing him in at all because they just didn't need him. They, they carried the load with Harden on the bench for the long stretch of time. And it's interesting. I kind of made a tongue-in-cheek tweet last night about Steph Curry not scoring the last, I guess, 17 minutes of the game for the Warriors in that victory and saying, I would like to see the Rockets try and do something like that. Well, that's just kind of what they did tonight. They didn't need Harden, and he still won the game. And it speaks volumes about how well everyone else is playing on his team where he doesn't have to carry a disproportionate load for this offense to win. Yeah, I think you just nailed it there because I think uh, Harden and Nariza, you know, you don't think that this team would win many games when those guys combined to go 6 of 26 from the field. Ariza just 1 of 9 tonight after that excellent game 1. Uh, but that just really shows how much Josh Smith and Dwight Howard stepped up and had such a big game. They still posted 111 points despite uh, only making six threes tonight, shooting 30% from three-point range. A lot of things, when you look at the box, didn't go right for the Rockets, but yet they still win and win pretty big because of that fourth quarter these guys had. Um, <laughs> we have to talk about Rajon Rondo because he made himself the story in this game, certainly. Uh, struggled in the first half. He and uh, James, he was defending Harden. He and Harden had a, a few little skirmishes where it looked like Rondo was just sort of giving him some elbows. And then right after halftime, coming right into the third quarter, uh, Rondo lasts 34 seconds, picks up two fouls. And, and right out of the gate, maybe nine or ten seconds in, they call a foul. He tries to kick the ball, it appears, then sort of swings his arms at Harden. It seemed like this guy didn't want to be here tonight, um, didn't want to play, was almost looking for a, a way out early. He's an absolute disaster for the Mavericks. And, and I'll be the first to admit that I was kind of wrong on both fronts, both on Rajon Rondo front and a Josh Smith front in terms of the Rockets looking toward acquiring both at some point, or at least inquiring into acquiring both. Um, he's been an unmitigated disaster for them. And, and as much of a drag as he's been on them offensively, he hasn't been that much of a boon for them defensively. And tonight, his body language was just, it was bizarre. Like, I mean, you referenced and I referenced during the game, it's like he just didn't want to play tonight. And I don't know what set him off. I don't know what sent him down that path. But to perform the way he performed, to, to give, you know, zero effort in terms of energy and focus and to get randomly chippy with Harden, who really wasn't trying to engage him at all. Exactly. It, it was it was a strange sequence of events. And, and he left Rick Carlisle no choice but to sit him and not and basically make him watch the rest of the game. He only played 10 minutes. He only had four points. He really did next to nothing out there offensively or defensively for the team. And I'm curious as to what happens next because it's become a story within a story of the series. If you're Dallas and you're going back home and you're trying to find a way to get one game to get back in a series, how do you play this guy? He wasn't very good in game one, but at least he was engaged tonight. He just mentally checked out, and he allowed himself to be taken out of the game both defensively and offensively by the Rockets, by himself, by his coach. And he left the rest of his teammates no reason to stand up for him but by his antics. And, of course, he didn't speak with the media afterwards. So, you know, out of everything that's kind of unfolding with the Mavericks, the Chandler Parsons injury, the Devin Harris injury, whatever else you want to kind of focus on, how they handle what's going to happen with Rajon Rondo, who already had a blow-up this season with Carlisle, moving forward is the most intriguing thing for me. You know, and, and at least in my opinion, I think you have to score one for the Houston Rockets here in as far as management uh, against management of, of Dallas. I mean, Dallas was one of the very best, if not it was the best offense in the game uh, before they made this Rondo trade. They had 
they were clicking. I mean, defensively they had issues. That's one of the reasons they, they made this trade, and obviously they, to acquire what they viewed as a star player. But uh, that offense went south after acquiring a Rondo. Uh, and, you know, credit to Daryl Morey. He got involved in the Rajon Rondo tra- talks. At least the perception is he drove up the uh, cost. And it cost the Mavs some, a couple of key players. Jay Crowder was a solid player for them. Brandon Wright uh, was excellent for them. I mean, they were throwing lobs to Wright all day. Um, and it cost them a first-round pick, which not this year, but next year is going to be top seven protected only. And, and who knows where that Dallas Mavericks franchise is going to be next year. Uh, and, and you look on the flip side over at the Rockets, they had major bench issues. And they acquire Josh Smith and Corey Brewer for the cost of two second-round picks. Night and day, what, what those two teams did. It's brilliant. And, and I realize that, that Morey is a polarizing figure, and some people don't want to buy into this narrative that he's the smartest guy in the room. But how can you look at these two guys, speaking of Smith and Brewer, and not acknowledge how great they've been for this franchise? Um, and to, to get them basically on cheap, you know, to, to surrender next to nothing to get Brewer, and basically to surrender next to nothing at all to get Smith, who had just been discarded by, by the, the Pistons, who must be looking like a bunch of morons at this point. It, it's amazing to me. And, and, yeah, you know, I think the easy thing would have been to pursue Rondo based on where they were at the point guard position. And, yeah, I think at some point, if they advance out of this round, their deficiencies at point guard are going to bite them in the backside because they are struggling a little bit defensively on that end. But these two guys have been godsends for them, and, and it's amazing to think what the addition of two veterans can do for a team that needed some sort of veteran moxie to kind of flush out the rest of the roster. And on the flip side of that, adding a veteran like Rondo, who has a championship, who has playoff Rondo experiences, as we've all been hashtagging, and he's just undercut the Mavericks. And their window was very, very narrow at this point. If they lose this series, it's absolutely shut. Because let's remember, they have not won a playoff series since they won the championship in 2011. If they don't get out of this series, I think they're done in terms of the way we view the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, and that would be awfully sweet if it's the Rockets being the team to shut that window. You know, as far as Brewer, um, you know, he scoffed that, uh, you know, the, the Mavericks traded him a few years back for a bag of potato chips that... Honestly, must have been a very tasty bag of potato chips because he is just destroying the Mavericks uh, right now. 7 of 13 in this game for 15 points. Uh, there was that one play where Dwight just had that amazing outlet pass, and Brewer was just a gazelle uh, across the, the court and had that, uh, you know, knocked in that layup going about 95 miles an hour. Um, he, he is just added so much to this team where I thought personally when they added him, well, is he going to fit? He doesn't hit, doesn't shoot three-pointers. He's added a dimension to this team where they've just become so dangerous in the passing lanes and in running out in transition. Added way more to the Houston Rockets than I thought he was going to do. And I think their ability to get out in transition in key spots of the game has, has been one of the, the, the sneaky good aspects of them offensively. You know, we spend a lot of time focusing on their get to the rim, get to the line, get three-pointers attack, but their ability to will themselves to points in transition has been a huge plus for them, and, and Brewer is first and foremost in doing that. I think clearly you have adept ball handlers in James Harden and in, in Josh Smith and pushing the ball in transition, but Brewer's ability to streak down the court and to contort himself at the rim and make a lot of difficult shots in transition is, is one of the things that, that people I don't think are paying enough attention to, and it's where they're stealing points, critical points in this series. When they had that spurt in the, first, the fourth quarter, yeah, there were the lobs, 
from Smith to Howard, but there was also a couple points in there where Smith got some transition baskets, and those are backbreakers. You can't allow those if you're a team trying to hold the rope and stay into a game to have a guy streak down the court and get a layup, and you can't have your coach constantly calling timeout trying to, to end that run because it's like once there's blood in the water with that second group, they just feast, and Brewer's been the guy. He's the shark that kind of leads that second unit. It's been amazing to watch. I, I, I don't think anyone could have anticipated he would still be so gutsy in terms of taking three-pointers, but you give him what he wants because he's impacting the game so positively in so many other ways. Yeah. I have to give you a lot of credit. You know, I've known you for several years now. We've watched a lot of games together. I've noticed you you observe things in-game that uh, I don't necessarily catch. I mean, we talked about the, the Capella being exhausted in the dunk thing, and, and then, you know, you, you could tell that Chandler Parsons was just not right. Uh, and I think I said, you know, you – He's going to probably have a better game this next game, and you said you weren't sure about Chandler Parsons. Sure enough, he's not. He doesn't play in this game, How, and it doesn't look like he's going to be playing possibly in this whole series. We'll see it on, on that, but it certainly looks like an injury that's going to going to be there for him for a while. How much is that going to hurt the Mavs, in your opinion? It was striking to hear Rick Carlisle say before the game that he was concerned about. Parsons period, not just you know, relative to tonight's game, but the, the grand scheme of things. And and I, I don't know how they move forward with this. And maybe he has a miraculous recovery over the next couple of days and he's able to go on Friday night. But, you know, you and I shared that scene in the hall with him walking down down the hallway with, with um, Keith Jones and, and really just being inconsolable almost in terms yeah. of where he was physically for this team. And I can't imagine how, how pained he is to be in this spot to, to not play six games, to really kind of gear yourself up for an opportunity to play in the postseason, to limp through one game and not play the second game when you know the team needs you. It's, it's not a good sign for him, and, and, I, and I feel for him. But when you look at the grand scheme of things, I don't know how they can push him at this stage if he was not ready to go. It's been several weeks since he had been out. To come back and maybe come back too early and play for a game and not look good at all, I don't see where physically he can give them much of anything unless there's a miraculous recovery again between now and Friday. So I'm curious to see how they handle it. You know, Richard Jefferson... Not surprisingly, didn't give them much of anything yeah. other than one hard foul in the game. And, and I'm not sure, you know, with everything they've done in terms of negotiating pieces around Dirk Nowitzki and really trying to make sure everyone kind of compliments what he does for this team, how you pull Channel Parsons out of the mix at this late stage of the game and expect just to kind of move on offensively. I thought tonight they did a good job of just kind of grinding their way and making things difficult for the Rockets defensively. But they weren't really that good offensively, obviously 37.1%. And they won't be a good offensive team if Parsons is unable to go on Friday night or for the rest of the series. You know, this is the one team, Dallas, uh, that does not have a great point guard. Obviously, they thought they were getting that in Rajon Rondo, but doesn't have a point guard where your defense, you have to be concerned about locking down that guy. Uh, but we're still seeing in this series perhaps a problem here, just a, something the Rockets are struggling with, and that's defending the point guard. Uh, with Jason Terry. I thought Pablo Prigioni gave the team some good minutes tonight. I believe he played uh, 24 minutes, 7 points, 3 of 6 from the field. Hit that uh, extremely big three-pointer in the fourth quarter. Put the Rockets up 11 uh, late in the fourth quarter. Uh, but they've got a, uh, an issue here. It's been a little give and take uh, at the point guard position. I thought Berea, I didn't realize he shot 13 shots. I had 14 shots, but I thought he was very good for, for Dallas in terms of running their offense and getting around corners on high screens. And, and they have to find a way to be a little bit better. And I recognize you're, you're talking about two guys and both Jason Terry and Pablo Prigioni who are older players who aren't great defensive players at the stage, but you can't leak that much defensively and expect to be a, a competent defensive team. And the Mavericks still had 48 points in the paint tonight. I thought they still found a way to get to the room way too often. Uh, I thought they still did some things on the offensive glass that was a little bit concerning. And, you know, as you project forward and assume that the Rockets will keep playing well enough to win the series, 
I don't know how you address what you do defensively at the point guard position when the next round is on the feature either Tony Parker or Chris Paul, who obviously was yes. devastating against the Spurs in game one. So it, it's a weakness. Right now, the weakness is not being fully exposed because Rajon Rondo is going in a tank mentally. But at some point, they're, they're going to have to find a way in terms of all the adjustments they're making. That's going to be a paramount of, of what's next on the list for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm thrilled as a Rocket fan. I mean, I'm just ecstatic. I feel a little bit relieved. They, they get the games you know, the, the two home games starting out, it feels like they've almost learned from the mistake of last year of Portland. Granted, this is a different team as well. I think the veterans have made a huge difference to this team. No disrespect intended to Parsons and Ashik and Lynn, but certainly the guys that they've added to this team have maybe been a little bit more experienced and, and uh, provided some of the things as the role players that, the, that they lacked last year. However, both Harden and Ariza said the same thing. Hey, all we've done is protect home court. We've done what we're supposed to do. If we had lost one of these games, then we would have had a major issue. Now the series starts. So, obviously, this game Friday, where's the pressure in your opinion? I'm curious to see if Dallas is disheartened. Uh, I think their issues defensively are glaring. Uh, you can't hide Nowitzki. Um, your point guard has essentially quit on you. And, you know, Monte Ellis was better tonight, but still took 23 shots to get, what, 22 points. So they have not been efficient offensively. I think Dwight has really gotten the better of Tyson Chandler to the point that Chandler was ready to fight again, like, like he's uh, want to do. And they just didn't have any answer for how to space their, their defense well enough to stop Josh Smith from just having his way with them. And they'll make that adjustment somehow, some way. But in the same vein, you can't adjust enough to hide Dirk Nowitzki defensively. So they're kind of springing leaks all over the place. And, and maybe Nowitzki has a great shooting game for them at home on Friday. Maybe you know they get a little bit more efficiency out of Monte Ellis, but they still may not be with Chandler Parsons. They still may not have um, the, the components necessary defensively to hold up against the Rockets. And the fact of the matter is this. James Harden shot 32.1% in his series, and Rockets have scored 118 and 111 points. Yeah. That shows you how well they've devastated Dallas defensively. And out of all the strides the Mavericks have to make, they have to find a way to get much, much better on that end of the court. Well, this is a big one, man. Friday night in Dallas, uh, I'd like to see this team go for the jugular. I think they win that game. I think Dallas falls apart from there. I mean, most teams would at 3-0, but uh, that's a big one. Rockets can get that game. I think, you know, like you said, there was a lot of uh, – Dallas showed up a lot a lot of problems in this game. So, so it seems like they're down. I think I'd like to see the Rockets smash them now while, while they are down. But uh, thanks so much for doing this, man. I, I, it's nice to see now you're becoming a Rockets fan the same way you are an Atlanta Braves fan, which is your true passion, I know. That corner has yet to be turned. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, always a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, well, you know, hopefully there's not a game five, but hopefully we'll be doing the next podcast in the uh, second round. Appreciate it, Dave.